This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500 500. Five, four, three, two, one. But who's counting, right? And his name is Major. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Major Garrett from the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's the takeout. This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent... Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Major Garrett. Major, that's nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? (laughs) The answer is yes. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett. You know why you're here, listening, watching, doing all the things we do here on The Takeout. We're in Denver, Colorado. I'll explain why later. But we're in the office of the governor of Colorado, the recently re-elected governor of Colorado, Democrat... Jared Polis. Governor, it's good to see you. Major, welcome to our great state. We're excited to have you here. So so let's talk about some Beltway things. President Biden, should he run for re-election? You know, Major, I thought I got out of the Beltway when I left Congress after 10 years and ran for governor. Uh, Of course, uh, look, obviously, you know, that's something that the president and his wife and their family are going to discuss. And and he certainly hasn't shared any confidence with me, but um, that'll be a very personal decision for what he wants to do. Would you support him if he does? Um, look, I, I, would I support him over, over uh, other candidates like Donald Trump? Absolutely. So, um, I, again, I want to see what it's very perspective at this point, who's going to run, who are the candidates. But um, I've uh, enjoyed working with uh, President Biden these last uh, three years and uh, look forward to what he decides going forward. If he runs, would you imagine any other Democrat would run against him? You know, I, I'm not a president. I have no idea, uh, Major. Uh, um, I'm sure there would be uh, some. I think the real question is, are there any, you know, major, not, pardon the pun, not major, <laughs> n- n- major significant Democrats, Democrats, any, significant Democrats mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. Again, I think he's managed the Democratic coalition uh, effectively. I don't think there's any parts of the party that are particularly uh, upset with his leadership. Um, he just has to go through the process of figuring out, do I have the fire in my belly? Uh, do I uh, want to do this and, and lead not just, of course, uh, America, but of course the President of the United States is in many ways the leader of the free world, and uh, does he want to do that for another term? Would the Democratic Party be bereft if he did not run for re-election? Well, Major, I in no way, shape, or form you know, speak for the Democratic Party. I mean, that's obviously the party I'm a member of, and I'm governor of Colorado, so I really don't know what that there's a monolithic uh, party reaction. I mean, there's people of all walks of life and, and across the country that are, you know, call themselves Democrats, and some... Uh, wanted somebody to Biden's left, some want some to Biden's right, you know, some want somebody uh, just like President Biden. So, I mean, there's no monolithic answer to what you're asking. Let me rephrase it then. Would the Democratic bench be so weak as to not have a good alternative if President Biden were not to seek re-election? Uh, look, I think that there's a, a lot of talent um, in, in, on both sides. I think that the, challenging is all, the challenge is always assembling you know, a winning coalition, which is what uh, President Biden 
did so well on the Democratic side. It's what uh, President Trump, unfortunately, did in many ways, I would argue, you know, sort of catering to the worst in everybody, but nevertheless built, uh, you can't say a majority, but at least the Electoral College majority, mm -hmm. uh, despite losing the popular vote to Hillary Clinton as well as to uh, Joe Biden. Do you have aspirations for the presidency? No, uh, Major, I really uh, don't have the fire in my belly to, to do that. I'm, I'm super excited to be governor of Colorado. Just People mention it, though, to me. Uh, well, people are welcome to mention it. Those people aren't me, so um, people can say whatever they want. It's a free country. Uh, I uh, really am excited to have this job for the next four years. Very ambitious agenda of what mm -hmm. we want to accomplish here, reducing housing costs, implementing free preschool and uh, already implemented kindergarten, improving uh, achievement in our schools, fostering the best uh, business environment in the country to help grow businesses and continuing to cut property taxes and income taxes. We'll get to Colorado, I promise, Governor. Uh, the document story in Washington, as you observe it from Denver, your thoughts? Well, I, I posted something recently to my, my Facebook on this. I, I, I was in Congress for 10 years, so I, I, I remember yeah. we had access to classified documents. We'd go to the scale. There was a process. Yeah. You put your, you're not even allowed to bring your cell phone in. You leave your cell phone outside. You go in there. You review what you want to review. And you don't, you're not allowed to leave the room with any of it. So that same, uh, that same parameter should apply to the executive branch. I mean, members of the Intelligence Committee, members of Congress review documents all the time. Maybe someone somewhere tried to steal one. I don't know. But in general, there's a very strong protocol. You are not able to leave the room with a classified document. Um, that whether you're Mike Pence or Donald Trump or Joe Biden or any executive official, uh, they should have those same basic parameters around how classified documents are, are reviewed. Do you see any legal difference between those three cases, Pence, Biden, and Trump? I haven't reviewed the legal aspects of those cases. It's my understanding that President Trump and his attorneys refused cooperation with the authorities. Uh, I don't believe that happened in the case of Vice President Pence. He was the only one that, where Biden. a uh, search warrant was authorized. Right, uh, and I think that was because of the access that was granted by uh, Vice President Pence and um, and by President Biden. But again, I, I have not reviewed the legal uh, particulars From a that. political perspective, are these issues disqualifying? Uh, well, look, I mean, I think that it's an issue of what the protocols are. Uh, I don't have any particular reason to believe that any of the three uh, deliberately stole information. Uh, it seems like a protocol that should have been filed as well as kind of uh, foist upon them, meaning they should not have been able to leave a skiff or secure location with classified information. So you could argue there's certainly blame on, on both sides, but I would say we need protocols and the protocols for members of Congress reviewing classified information fundamentally work to the best of my knowledge. And why are people in the executive branch apparently able to walk out to non-secure places with classified information. They simply shouldn't be able to do that. You mentioned former President Trump. Assess his prospects in 2024 as you see the politics of our country. Well, I think uh, he would likely to be a loser in the general election again. Uh, whether he can assemble a primary victory is, is you know, hard for me to say. It probably depends on things like who runs against him and uh, how many people run against him because he still has a a cadre of support uh, on the Republican side. So it's, it's too early to say, I, I, you know, as a Democrat, we obviously salivate at the prospect of being able to defeat President Trump again. But as an American, I'd like to see a healthier body politic and would love to see somebody who uh, believes in uh, our, our constitution, our system of governance, and believes in the integrity of elections on both sides of the aisle. Just to translate that, whether it's President Biden or someone else, the Democratic nominee defeats former President Trump. No question in your mind. Well, you well, well no, I, I'd say the of course there's a question in my mind. I think that the odds are in favor of the Democratic nominee against President Trump. But uh, President Trump did overcome those odds and defeat uh, Hillary Clinton in the Electoral College despite her victory of the popular vote. Got it. So there's a situation playing out in Memphis right now, and it may be of national concern. Someone was killed as a result of police beating this individual after a traffic stop. We've been notified that lots of people around the country and state agencies have been notified when this videotape from the body cams is released, there could be demonstrations, unrest. To what degree have you been notified about this and are you preparing here in Colorado? I have been briefed on it. Uh, like you at this point, I have not seen the video, right. it's not been released. Uh, I can tell you that Colorado um, has taken some steps in the direction of uh, making sure 
that our police are respectful. We, uh, we restricted qualified immunity, uh, and we also added a body camera requirement for, for law enforcement. So uh, we are by no means immune to this national trend, but we do pride ourselves on working with law enforcement around um, ensuring accountability. From your perspective, Governor, how raw is this issue, either in Colorado or nationally? The idea of trust, policing, and excessive force. So we've expressed, our, my goal as governor in Colorado is to make Colorado one of the 10 safest states mm -hmm. over the next five years. And you can't do that without building trust of law enforcement in the communities they police. And so through community initiatives, through um, training of law enforcement, we of course need to make sure that people in every community in our state uh, don't hesitate to report uh, crime, to cooperate with law enforcement and holding criminals accountable. Uh, law enforcement can't operate in a silo without the trust of these communities. And there's many communities in our state that have built the, that trust and continue to strive to every day. And there's other areas that need to do better in that regard. Are you personally bracing for this video? Well, I, uh, when it's publicly available, I, I will watch it. Um, I, again, at this point, I, I don't know the contents of that video. But you, like me, know it sounds bad. Uh, from what we've heard, yeah. And so I will, I will view that, and uh, I'm sure that uh, the American public, myself included, will also be following uh, what type of accountability exists in Memphis for uh, those who, who perpetrated this, this act. That is the voice of Governor Jared Polis, Democratic Governor of Colorado. I'm Major Garrett, segment two of The Takeout, in just one second. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom terms apply. Have you ever covered a carpet stain with a rug? Ignored a leaky faucet? Pretended your half-painted living room is supposed to look like that? Well, you're not alone. We've all got unfinished home projects, but there's an easier way. When you download Thumbtack, it's easier to care for your home from top to bottom. Pull out your phone and in just a few steps, you can search, chat, and book highly rated pros right in your neighborhood. Plus, you'll know what to tackle next, because Thumbtack is the app that shows you what to do, who to hire, and when. So say goodbye to all those unfinished home projects and say hello to caring for your home the easier way. Download Thumbtack and start a project today. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. I promise to tell you why I'm in Denver. Well... Many thanks to the good people at Tattered Cover, an independent bookstore right here in Denver. I was here on my book tour, self-financed, as almost every book tour is, at least for humble authors like me. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, the name of the book, The Big Truth, Upholding Democracy in the Age of the Big Lie. Purchase it. I promise you, you have my word. You will not be disappointed. Uh, Governor Polis, um, you mentioned crime in our first segment. Uh, and you stated in your State of the State address you want Colorado to be within the top 10 as far as safety. Let me read you a headline I came across in Axios from December. Colorado car thefts are soaring and growing more dangerous. I read a lot of articles before I sat down with you about car thefts, carjackings, and this idea that this is sort of spiraling out of control in Colorado. What are you doing about that? So uh, in terms of bills that are just taking impact, we want, you know, part of the reason that cars are stolen is there's um, carburetor theft, so we've cracked down on that. We are seeking in our legislative package to actually provide funding to district attorney's offices to prosecute auto theft. Because what we're finding is, like uh, law enforcement agencies, DAs um, have limited resources, and so in deciding what to prosecute, uh, sometimes auto theft has fallen by the wayside. So we are seeking to support them in doing that. We're supporting uh, stronger criminal penalties, uh, particularly in our state. Right now, there's a different class of penalty depending on if the vehicle value is under $2,000 or more than $2,000. Now, most vehicles stolen are worth more than $2,000 anyway, but we want the same legal tools to go after uh, the thief of an $1,800 car than we have for a five dollars or $10,000 car, um, as well as uh, looking at technology and how we can have better uh, license plate reading and tracking to ensure that stolen cars are recovered sooner and those responsible are held accountable under our law. 
You know, Governor, that there is a perception, and part of it is because Republicans say this over and over, but I want to get your evaluation. The Democrats, because of the progressive elements within its party coalition, are taking their foot off the accelerator when it comes to either law enforcement or prosecution or jailing those who break the law your overall philosophy as a governor about that issue? You know, I feel that the, the Democrats offer a much more comprehensive approach to uh, public safety and reducing crime. I mean, Republicans have kind of one note, and they say tougher penalties. And, and there's some truth to that. Yes, that's part of an overall strategy. If, if tougher penalties alone uh, somehow solved crime, there'd be jurisdictions in this country with no crime. But in fact, you have uh, crime rates that are as high or higher in areas where, uh, for instance, they even have felonized possession of small amounts of marijuana or, or other drugs. We obviously don't in Colorado. Marijuana is legal. Uh, other drugs are generally up to a certain amount, more of a misdemeanor than a felony. But if it was that, I'm somebody who looks at evidence and data. So we just look at what are you doing and do you have a high crime or low crime rate? And we can learn from jurisdictions uh, led by Republicans and Democrats is what we should do. So clearly, yes, uh, in, in some instances, including an in auto theft, tougher sentencing is part of the picture. But what else is part of the and picture? People are clamoring for action here in Colorado. Absolutely. And part of the picture is uh, more funding for law enforcement and prosecutors, more funding for community organizations that can prevent crime before it occurs, uh, more support for behavioral health responses and dealing with underlying behavioral health issues before a crime gets committed. Uh, and using technology for uh, better monitoring. So there's a lot uh, of solutions. I, I wish it was as simple as you fix the penalty and crime goes away. The evidence shows that's simply false and we need a comprehensive approach to make America safer. It's been my experience, Governor, that those in your position pay obviously very close attention to what's going on in their state, but they also look around the country for cautionary tales or things that are happening that might come into their jurisdiction. And I'm curious if you've paid any attention to this situation in Newport News, Virginia. A six-year-old was at school, shot a teacher. People have now resigned. There's a lawsuit. There are allegations that repeated warnings on that day were missed. And this was a behavioral issue. It is a accountability issue. And what, a six-year-old shot a teacher in an American classroom? As a cautionary tale, what do you take as a governor from a situation like that? And are you thinking proactively any differently about how school districts or classrooms operate in Colorado? Well, we take school safety very seriously. In fact, Obviously. even during my time as governor, we had a school shooting, the STEM mm -hmm. school shooting in Douglas County. Uh, we lost one young hero, Kendra Castillo, who died um, taking down the, um, the perpetrator. And um, Many others were injured visiting them in the hospital the day after was one of the harder things I've had to do as governor. Uh, one of the things that we have proposed with our legislature is a one-stop shop for school districts and schools on school safety, additional funding for physical hardening and improvements in our schools, uh, making sure we meet the behavioral health needs of our schools. Colorado established the imatterscolorado.org program. Every student uh, is eligible for six free uh, mental health counseling sessions. So uh, you find that many young people in crisis simply don't know how or where to access mental health services across our entire state. They now have access to that through iMatters Colorado. It's a shocking situation though, isn't it? Uh, absolutely. I mean, the thing, you know, every time there's, of course, in this case, uh, a particularly young person, but anytime there's a, a shooting, uh, a stabbing, uh, an incidents at one of our schools where whether it's teachers or students are jeopardized. Um, it's an immense tragedy, even above and beyond the victims directly affected. It's about that fear factor that members of that larger school community mm -hmm. feel uh, going to a place that they should feel safe and ready to learn. Exactly. Uh, related to this, not on the school safety side, but curriculum, as you're well aware, there is a roiling debate in Florida set in motion by the governor, Governor DeSantis, about advanced placement teaching of curriculum related to African-Americans. As you watch that debate play out, as we're speaking, Illinois' Governor Pritzker has weighed in on this. Your thoughts? Um, I haven't seen what my colleague Governor Pritzker said, but I would generally say I haven't reviewed the curriculum for that course, nor should I as governor. I don't view that as my job. Um, there are probably going to be schools in Colorado that choose to offer that. There'll be students that choose to, to take it if it's offered. It's an um, elective, like by the yeah, way. Yeah, like any other course. Uh, 
it's not a governor's job to micromanage the curriculum of what schools in their state are offering. And we have 178 school districts. They have locally elected school boards. And um, as long as the kids are meeting our academic standards and we measure that, their achievement in reading and writing and math, uh, the last thing the government should be doing is micromanaging the curriculum. Is there some grandstanding going on here? Uh, it sounds like it. I, I, again, I, I don't know, you know how a governor like Ron DeSantis can run a big state like Florida and still find time to review the AP curricula for a course that hardly any students are going to take. I, that's certainly not something I do in the course of my day. He went out of his way to say that part of that curriculum talks about the queer experience in black America and saying that's an agenda item. Do you find anything potentially uh, either unsettling or dangerous by about circling that aspect of it? Does it make the atmosphere around LGBTQ members of the curriculum of the of the school or the school district in Florida or just in general does that create any alarm bells for you identifying that part of the curriculum as something potentially agenda driven or ideologically suspect well i mean look uh, lgbt people have been part of uh, history uh, from you know alexander the great through uh, yes relevant to the um, movement for equal rights for african americans uh, bernard ruskin and, and others so i mean uh, you don't sweep it under the rug. You don't highlight it. It's just it's just part of history. I mean, people are people. They're diverse and uh, men and women, uh, people of different races, people of different sexual orientations. I mean, you, you know, you just have to. History is something that should be told objectively. People can form their own judgments and lessons from it. Uh, but you certainly don't. But you sweep can understand how some in that community would say, "Wait a minute, that feels threatening to us." Well, I, I certainly hope not. It's it's uh, it's history. It's it is what it is. I mean, you know, there again, you, you study for the governor happens. to say there's something wrong with that means to them possibly there's something wrong with them. And there's this larger conversation in our country right now about the, the threat matrix for LGBTQ. Yeah, I, I, again, I don't think uh, any part of history should be swept under the rug. It doesn't mean that people today. Uh, should be made to feel guilty for the sins of their ancestors. Um, and I think there's some validity in those who want to make sure the curriculum doesn't include things that make today's Americans feel guilty for uh, wrongs of the past. But of course, you have to tell history as it is. And so that means talking accurately about um, egregious institutions like slavery that occurred in our country, uh, the fact that uh, LGBT people were had very difficult time uh, through much of our nation's history. Uh, women uh, didn't have equal rights uh, until relatively recently in our nation's history. So, you know, these are not subjective content areas. It's objective history of, of what occurred. And so uh, you certainly can't erase a particular group from that history that we share of how we got to where we are. The voice of Governor Jared Polis. We're here in Denver in the governor's office. Glad to be here. I made you get segment three coming your way in just one second. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite clear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. Democratic Governor Jared Polis of Colorado is our special guest. Governor, you sent migrants to New York City, did you not? Well, what we did in Colorado um, was a little different than that major. Uh, effectively, as you know, we were on one of the main arteries mm -hmm. out of Arizona and Texas. So there were people passing through Denver that got trapped here uh, because of the unprecedented winter storms that break down in national travel around Christmas time, Southwest, uh, the storms in the bus system. So we had people that were stuck here two or three weeks longer than expected, and we helped them reach their final destinations wherever they were. 
So that's different than what Governor Abbott and Governor DeSantis did. Well, anybody who's intellectually honest would, would of course, say it's completely different. Mm -hmm. um, one is uh, empowering the agency of people who are on their way somewhere to help them get there. The other is... And they told you where they wanted to go. Absolutely. They, they're on their, they've, been they've been on their way to a particular destination for mm -hmm. three or four months, by the way. And, and, and when they were in Denver, they were frustratingly close because they had been through jungles in, in Mexico. I, uh, speak Spanish. I met with many mm -hmm. of the mostly Venezuelan community to hear what they had gone through for three or four months, and and so close yet so far from where they were headed, separated only by a huge winter storm and a breakdown in national travel infrastructure. So uh, they were here for a few weeks and um, were were able to leave after those conditions uh, ended. Very different than somehow using. Uh, migrants as a prop and sending them to a place where they don't want to go as a stunt, uh, which is uh, really kind of an inexcusable way to kind of use people to tell your story, whatever it is. We all have our issues with, the, with immigration. We need to fix them. But you don't use the people themselves as props. You mentioned you were in Congress for 10 years. You listened to the circular, never-ending, but rarely productive debate on immigration in Washington. You're a governor now dealing with real-life consequences. Give me your thoughts on where things are, where they need to get to. So obviously I still and, and have supported comprehensive immigration reform, secure the borders, pathway to citizenship for people here. I don't know if that's going to happen. So at this point, I, I think another solution might uh, be good. It's not a, a permanent one, but if Congress would simply empower states to provide provisional work permits, then states could do that according to their will. And, and we would do that in Colorado. I think many Let conservative Republicans- Let states experiment with that. Would, right, and we can't confer citizenship. We get that, that'll take an act of Congress someday. Right. But let us, let us provide provisional work permits uh, to meet our needs for people that are in our states. And I think you would even have some conservative Republican governors using that in a limited way. And we certainly- Because almost every governor is experiencing a labor shortage of one kind or another. Here in Colorado, we have uh, two job openings for every unemployed Do you person. want to do that the way you did in your State of the State address? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you want, I can do that again. So we were talking. It wasn't out of context. I was doing no, a Star, no, doing no, a Star Trek reference, and I said, two job openings for every unemployed person Colorado has, because I just quoted Yoda in the previous, uh, well done, previous sentence. <laughs> you have a labor shortage, and the point is, if you allow states to experiment with provisional work permits, nothing That's right. else. That's right. That would help. I think there's so much frustration at the state level because states, we can't, we're not the ones in charge of securing the border. We can't. Colorado doesn't even have a border with an international country. We can't provide work permits. And yet we have people living here that we want to be able to legally enter our workforce, whether it's for ag jobs or service sector or across the skills mm -hmm. continuum. And if Congress can't figure out how to do that nationally, at least move forward with letting states do this. Assess the quality of the Biden immigration policy for me. Governor? Well, mostly they need action from Congress. Um, I mean, I certainly have called on the Biden administration to do specific things. One of those is uh, better securing the border. Another one is providing temporary protected status to Venezuelans who've entered the country, uh, providing them the ability to work provisionally until their asylum claims are processed, rather than them have to rely on public support, let them earn their own living for the next year as those claims are adjudicated. Uh, but it, most of my criticism would be from Congress for lack of action. There have been some recent steps taken by the Biden administration for those seeking asylum to push them off, and some progressives are very unhappy with those. Are you supportive of those? Well, again, I, I, if you're talking about the more recent, I, I think they want people to be able to apply for asylum while they are outside the country. Yes. Um, what I think would help the most is a speedy um, provision of asylum to people who have meritorious more courts, claims. More rapid adjudication. Get it done, because we need the workers, we need the people. People are in limbo. Many of them, by the way, most probably, you know, not all, most have legitimate claims in that they simply cannot return to their home country at risk of death to themselves. Uh, and and we, want, we need people who are able to fill important jobs in this country. So let's, like, connect the dots and make it happen. In most of America, where populations are concentrated, housing is the number one issue. I don't think journalistically we do enough to talk about housing, so I want to have a long conversation with you, if you'd be so kind. I watched your State of the State address. A lot of words about housing, but they sounded sort of general to me. So what are your specific goals? Can you break down for Coloradoans how many units you want to create, by how much you want to reduce the gap between affordability and lack of affordability? Can you be more specific about what your actual goals are for the next two or three years? Yeah, so I mentioned the word housing mm -hmm. a couple times. You did. And even during the campaign season, uh, really this is one of the top things that I 
campaigned on because it's one of the top pain points for Coloradans. What, is, what does that mean? It's a pain point. Simply speaking, uh, housing costs too much in our state. As it does in many parts, parts of our country. Average home price, $600,000 in the Denver metro area. Rents have gone up faster than incomes. Uh, housing costs have gone up faster than incomes. Even if they've been stable or down a little bit off their heights a year ago, the actual cost is higher because of higher interest rates. So I mean, if you're actually buying a home, you know, let's say a $640,000 home with $620,000, your monthly payments are still quite a bit higher because mortgage rates are higher. So it's become less and less affordable. We have to take action. Uh, what does action mean? Uh, to a certain extent, housing and the price of housing is very simply kind of economics 101 supply from college, and supply and demand. And it's, it's, a wonder, it's great that there's such demand in Colorado. It means people want to live here. Mm -hmm. It's because of our great skiing, our great quality of life. In fact, there's a lot of jobs. So we want to focus on supply. And there are artificial constraints on supply, namely getting the time and cost and denial of getting permission to build. And so we want to take that head on, uh, faster approval time, cutting red tape, allowing for more density near where jobs are, meaning near cities and other centers where people commute also, to. Are smaller homes part of this? Uh, Mini homes, micro homes, yeah, whatever, the, to, whatever the terminology where consumers is. Are, but obviously, a smaller home can cost less. And so, if if somebody can get a starter home and build equity for two hundred or two hundred fifty thousand, uh, maybe later in their life they can afford uh, from their equity gains a six or seven hundred thousand dollar home. But we just don't have that on the market right now. We don't have a lot of homes in the two or three hundreds. Um, mm -hmm. You have to go very far out. You're talking forty five minute commute, which adds commute times, traffic, congestion, poor everything. air quality, all of this, and the cost of the state for building more roads and lane widening. So there's a lot of hidden costs to that. And and as we develop from a sustainable water perspective, a traffic perspective, a livability perspective. We need more people, we need to make sure more people have the opportunity to live close to where the jobs are. So give me a number, 100,000 units, 10,000 units, 50,000 units? Well, the reason it can't be a number is it, it depends on the demand side, which we think is strong now, but that depends on larger economic trends than this. What we need is more supply. And so we, we want to bring supply online that exceeds demand. So I mean, if demand is 100,000 homes, we want supply to be 140,000, so prices go down rather than up. I don't have the lever over demand. In fact, if anything, I want demand to remain high because Colorado's a great place to live and we want to keep it that way. But we have to make sure that supply exceeds demand. For the last 20 years, uh, demand has exceeded supply, which is why we've seen a price increase. Mm -hmm. All right. In the legislature, there are initiatives to either change or protect athletics at the high school level from transgender students. What do you think of that? Well, I, I, not in our legislature, you're talking about other states. Yeah, I haven't seen them here um, in terms of particular bills. Uh, in general, this is another matter like, you know, AP curriculum where states should not be intervening. I mean, this is perfectly capable of having your local youth sports league or in our state, it's uh, CHAZA, which is the High School Sports Association. Uh, absolutely, they should deal with eligibility and make sure that it's fair and, and done in an inclusive way. And uh, state lawmakers shouldn't be forcing them to do one thing or the other. Is it inherently discriminatory to wade into this space? Uh, well, it shouldn't be politicized. I mean, if, if I was running a youth league, it would be tough to figure out, right? I mean, they're trying to strike the balance between making sure young people can participate, but also making sure nobody has an unfair advantage and, and let them do it. I mean, that's, that's what they should be doing. And I absolutely believe there's people of good faith that run these sports organizations, whether it's your kid's little league or whether it's the high school sports association that are doing that. When it becomes politicized, that's where it creates larger problems. Even though some in state legislatures here or elsewhere might say, well, my constituents are clamoring for an answer. They want an answer at the state level. Is that not being responsive to those voices? Yeah, I mean, look, one way the, or the other. The answer is uh, my, my kids play uh, Little League, well, my daughter plays Little League Baseball. It's a co-ed league, so there's no issue with the gender thing. But if I was upset with something they were doing, I would try to get on the board of the Boulder Handle Little League and, and change it. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it, it is what it is. That's how you change things. You don't seek a one-size-fits-all state law, especially for these, uh, you know, difficult, challenging areas where there's data emerging. I mean, I think, look, let's, you want to be of good faith here. Should we generally make sure that kids can participate in youth sports? Of course, right? We want to be, we want to be eligible, whether it's kids with disabilities, whether it's kids of different genders, of course. Do we also want to make sure that nobody has a competitive advantage that's unfair? Yeah, of course you want to do that. So, so just, just figure that out in good faith. I mean, try to get these weird you know, political issues out of it. Try to figure it out. That's the voice of Governor Jared Polis. I'm Major Garrett, segment four of The Takeout in just one second. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery 
starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. We're a little bit more formal this week. We're in the governor's office. Governor Jared Polis, Democrat of Colorado. Governor, it's great to see you again. Listen, um, I'm a native Californian. In uh, your State of the State address, you said, we don't want to be like California. What's wrong with California? Well, I mean, we wouldn't mind having beaches, but um, what I was referring to very specifically in that speech is cities in California with average home prices above a million dollars, 16 lane freeways, which I didn't even know existed. I looked at it as real 16 lanes. But not only that, I mean, bumper to bumper for like, not just rush hour, but it's like rush half day, right? I mean, you're talking like seven in the morning to like 11 and then like, yeah, Yeah. right. So that's what we don't want. That's a lack of planning. We want to make sure people can live closer to their jobs. We don't need more and more bumper to bumper traffic, more affordability, not less, uh, more ability for both purchase and rent to live close to where you work. You also said in your speech, State of the State Address, water is life. As someone who grew up in the West, anyone who understands Real hardball politics in the West knows that hardball politics doesn't get any harder than over water. That's going to get harder in the future, is it not? It's all about water. And so, first of all, there's a nexus to housing policy, meaning if we can, people can afford to live closer to where they work rather than exurban sprawl, duplexes, triplexes, much more water efficient. So it's a much more realistic way to grow, much more sustainable way to grow from a water perspective. Uh, But secondly, yes, there's some conflict brewing between uh, Mountain West states over water scarcity. Now, first of all, Colorado, uh, Utah, Wyoming, we're in a stronger position as upper basin states, uh, certainly the more severe consequences, Arizona, Nevada, California. Um, But there's going to be, because of a changing climate and because of increased population, some challenges and conflict ahead regardless. And how do you assess Colorado's approach to climate change and the West's approach to climate change? Well, uh, there's two aspects. Behind the curve, ahead of the curve. Yeah. First of all, of course, we're proud to lead the way on renewable energy, doing our part. We have a goal of 100% renewable energy by 2040. But regardless of what states do, uh, the, the, the impact of a hotter, drier climate is already upon us in Colorado. We have drought as the new normal. Uh, we've had a year-round fire season. In fact, during my four years as governor, Colorado experienced the three largest wildfires in the entire history of the state of Colorado. You said in your state of the state something that California has been known for a while. It's not fire season anymore. It's fire year. It's fire year. And so, you know, part of that response, of course, is upping the bar in fire response, you know, adding capacity, uh, aerial attack, uh, space intelligence on fires, ground fighting support for our firefighters. But in many ways, it's sort of preparing for this new normal. We established a climate response office looking across agencies like agriculture and natural resources to say, how do we prepare for what the modeling shows is happening and will happen in the next five or 10 years so that our farmers and ranchers can continue to thrive, uh, so that our wildlife can continue to thrive, so that we reduce the risk of fires by building community defense perimeters and taking down fuel in areas of our state where that might not have been as much risk five or 10 years ago. So we wanna get ahead of this. How's the winter been for you? Lots of snow I see on the mountains. Yeah, come ski. We're at about 120% of snowpack in many of our award-winning uh, acclaimed ski areas, Vale, Aspen. We encourage everybody to come visit our state. Still drought situations, though, and one snow season does not alleviate this problem. No, we, we always have a natural variance, and, and the snowpack in the mountains has some correlation to the water supply, but we still have drought conditions across our main agriculture corridor, which is eastern Colorado. Uh, we have... Uh, uh, with the water table on some of the aquifers continues to lower and, and we have a difficult time with our irrigated agriculture. So it's become a, it's a, it's an ongoing challenge in our state. For the nation, explain the pluses and minuses 
of cannabis policy as you've experienced it here in Colorado? Well, Colorado is a pioneer in, mm -hmm. in legalizing uh, cannabis, both recreational as well as, as, well as medicinal. Uh, it's gone very well by any indication. What does that mean? It means it's helped drive out uh, the underground economy. Uh, we've actually have a lower uh, marijuana use rate for underage youth because of that, because it's harder to acquire because of the legal ways of acquiring it. Uh, we have generated over a billion dollars in tax revenue, tens of thousands of jobs. Uh, and uh, help make sure that we have a rational approach that inspires confidence. And what the voters endorsed in our state is l regulate marijuana like alcohol. It's something that people can use recreationally if they choose. If you use it in uh, moderation, that's your choice. Doesn't mean you get the right to show up to work drunk or high, you don't. But uh, we know if you, whether you're watching a Sunday football game, if you have a beer or two, whether you smoke a joint, that's entirely your business. It's up to you, it's freedom. Mm -hmm. And what could the federal government do to help out? Oh, a lot. That's very been a point of great frustration even since my days in Congress. Uh, uh, number one, they should um, effectively nationally leave it up to the states, remove the national prohibition on marijuana. Uh, that includes uh, providing fair tax treatment to businesses engaged in legal marijuana activities, 280. So it doesn't have to be a cash business. thing. Exactly. It doesn't have to be cashing. Let them bank. Let them take their business deductions. Treat it like any other uh, controlled substance. Let's look at tobacco and alcohol, right? Mm -hmm. we're, we're not... Put it in that category. Put it in that category. And under that regime. Yeah, exactly. In Colorado, you have to be 21. What's the resistance? When, when you talk to the administration about that, what's the hang-up? I think the frustration is, I think they probably have the votes to do that. I mean, the House has even passed, a, a, they mm -hmm. call it the SAFE Act, the Marijuana Bank. Overwhelming. I mean, you know, yep. bipartisan majority. It probably had 60-plus votes in the Senate, but they find the floor time. What was it attached to? It kind of fell by the wayside. So just do it. I mean, just do it. Like, you have the votes are there in Congress. And I, I, think, the, I think President Biden would be supportive of it as well. I haven't heard, I, uh, you know, I know he's called for some reforms mm -hmm. in this area. But just send it to him. Let's have majority votes. You know, let's, let's get it done already. It's, it's past time. There's an experiment that will soon be launched here in Colorado with mushrooms. Explain that. Uh, voters have passed an initiative just this last year to uh, legalize uh, mushroom therapy, meaning this is a kind of a scenario where you might have heard about this from friends, often it's in Mexico and other places, people go for a form of uh, uh, psychiatric therapy where they uh, help break the cycle of addiction, overcome depression, uh, and uh, it's generally been illegal in the United States, mm -hmm. so people have had to go to other countries. Colorado, I think, is the second state now, Oregon and Colorado, where we are looking at a statewide way of, of doing this. So that means making sure it's, it's safe, it's uh, you know some form of licensing for therapists, still a controlled substance. I mean, it's not that anybody can sell this. You can for your own personal use, but you can't just uh, open a store and sell it. But how do we do this in a way where uh, veterans and those uh, impacted by post-traumatic stress and suffering from depression can seek this alternative if they choose? You have a reputation of being somewhat nerdy and technology embracing. Have you or will you ever give a speech written by chat GPT? Actually, it's interesting that you asked that, Major. I, uh, I did type in there. Uh, I, I played around with it, of course, and I said, uh, what, give a speech given by Jared Polis. And it did spit one out. It probably was, re, you know, vague, but perhaps passable. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't expect that I, that I would, but um, it's really fun to watch these technologies. And I, I did look at that. And, and, and Are you averse to that technology or are you embracing of it? Well, I think all technology can, can have great positive ramifications and also some challenges to overcome. So, I mean, uh, AI has great potential and, of course, risks associated with it as well. I mean, academics are like, oh, God, the kids are just going to have the computer write their papers. Well, maybe they need to go back to pen and paper and have them write in those little, when you and I were there, those blue exam books, you remember those, where we would just have to scroll Painfully, out. I remember them. Well, Governor, maybe, yes. maybe they have to, maybe what's old is new again. Very good. That is the voice of Governor Jared Polis, Democratic Governor of Colorado, recently reelected. What was the margin? 19.6 uh, points, but who's counting? The governor's counting, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Major Garrett. For the radio audience, we'll see you next week. For those on the podcast, take out, take out, take especial is next. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett. This is The Fun and Games, but one thing before we get to The Fun and Games with Governor Jared Polis. Governor, uh, election denialism is something I've paid a lot of attention to. I've written a book about it. Uh, there is an extremism component to it. You've experienced both in Colorado. Your thoughts? Well, first of all, we're proud of our election laws in Colorado. Uh, people can register and vote on Election Day. We have a safe, secure mail order ballot, but people who don't want to use that can go in in person and vote. Um, but we also, like every state... But you've had country, controversies in this state. We have, uh, we have election deniers, and it's a very scary thing because despite... Uh, the independent audit and, and despite uh, oversight by the state and, and confidence in a fair electoral system, there are people who simply live in a factless environment instead believe in conspiracy theories with no basis. And that will exhaust itself in America or what? Well, look, I think we should continue to lean into being open and transparent about how elections Explaining work, how it works. Bringing people in. Let them um, see whatever they want to see. Let them see what they want to see. Not, not, not how you vote, but I mean, no, obviously. The, the way it's counted and uh, make sure it can be looked at independently and, and verified and paper trail for ballots. I mean, all of that. The more confidence we can inspire, the better. I get this question all the time. I'd like your perspective. If Trump would just go away, this would go away. Yes or no? No, no, of course not. I, I wish it was that easy. I'm of the strong opinion that's not the case. Um, I think that he's a symptom of our malaise rather than the cause. Fun and games part. So we have questions we've asked every single guest on this. Nearly every single guest. There have been a couple of exceptions. There's been a particularly news-heavy environment. But we're going to have some fun and games here now. So um, maybe Connor, uh, your estimable communications guru to our left, has prepared you for this. Uh, most influential book in your life? All-time favorite movie? And if you're driving across this beautiful state or flying, if you have to, to the nation's capital and you're going to listen to some music and really enjoy it, what kind of music, artist or genre is that most likely? So you went through several questions. I need you to ask them again there. So it was book? Most influential book, all-time favorite movie, class music that is the best that you can think of and indulge in. Like a particular performer? Yeah, or or genre or artist. By the way, I was very excited at my uh, inaugural gala. We had uh, Belinda Carlisle, Mm -hmm. They Might Be Giants, and Carly Rae Jepsen. That's pretty good. But um, who did we want even more than that? Dolly Parton, but she couldn't make it. Sorry, uh, Belinda, and they might be giants, and Carly, but uh, Dolly uh, is in her own category. Mm-hmm. Uh, went to, when, I, when I was first elected to Congress, we packed everything up in my car. We drove out, drove out east. We went through uh, uh, Tennessee, and we went up to Dollywood for this one. We spent one yeah. night. It was the last night before we made it to D.C. So that was, uh, we had a great time in Dollywood and really enjoyed it. <laughs> Uh, so Dolly Parton would be the answer. Dolly Parton would, would definitely be the answer to everything. Okay. Everything. Uh, favorite book, I would say... A most influential book, a book yeah. that really rocked you in a sort of positive and memorable way. Gosh, you know, I, I, I am a voracious reader. I really enjoy both fiction and nonfiction. Um, let me, I have to think about that. Um, give me a moment. Sure. I'll come back to that. Um, Movie you like? Let's and the way see. I help people to work yeah. through that is if you're scrolling and you come across it, you stop. Or it's like just your favorite movie, and you know it, like the back of your hand. To, 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 okay, I would say from the comedy world, Death Becomes Her is a great movie. Mm-hmm. Remember that classic? Uh, I absolutely, as a huge nerd, like both the Star Wars and Star Trek franchises. Mm-hmm. Some movies are better than others, but of course, Star Wars, you know, 4, 5, and 6, and Star Trek. Uh, I'm all over 4, yeah. 5, and 6. I'm yeah. not with you, Governor, on 1, 2, and 3. Sorry. Well, do you know, why did they, why did they come out in the order 4, 5, 6, uh, 7, 8, 9, 1, 2, 3? Because in charge of the order, Yoda was. <laughs> there you go. Um, book, I would go with, um, I'd probably go with uh, Atlas Shrugged by uh, Ayn Rand. Mm-hmm. Um, really uh, amazing, seminal work. And I've you know, read it across several different parts of my life and uh, very much an inspiration. So you, there, there is a, that is consistent with one of the characterizations of you as a neo-libertarian. Well, I don't know, you know, how people characterize me. I just say, you know, hardworking, data-driven, roll up your sleeves to, 
to make life better. So there's one other person who's been on this show who mentioned Atlas Shrugged as a very important book to them. Who was it? Mick Mulvaney. Oh, is that right? Mick's a good friend. Uh, Mick, uh, and he and I had a very yeah. lengthy conversation because I don't like Atlas Shrugged. Okay. I like The Fountainhead. Okay, interesting. That's more for the creative soul. You're a creative soul. I was more of a business person as well. But they, they spoke to two different sides of people. So, yes, yeah, and, yeah. I, and I think The Fountainhead is a much better book than Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Shrugged is a little too pound, 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 same thing over and over and over. There is a 50-page speech in it. That's, that's kind of hit me over the head with it a little bit <laughs> but much. Mick but Mick Mulvaney and you are the only two who have mentioned Atlas Shrugged on this show yeah. and answer that question. Well, Mick's, uh, Mick's a, was a good friend in Congress and a uh, great guy, and, and um, I'm sure that you would find others who also uh, found that as one of their inspirational works. But I think people who are fundamentally artistic, uh, whether it's in journalism or art, or obviously literally architecture, uh, would find <laughs> the fountainhead kind of more apropos. Um, uh, myself as kind of a business person, uh, Atlas Shrugged, in terms of literary merit, mm -hmm. I can't really comment on that. Right. My husband is an English major, he probably could. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't know if any of them are great literary masterpieces. Right. I, I, don't, I don't think I would, I, would, I would maintain that. I think it's more about uh, the philosophy. Exactly, and uh, found Although, by the way, she was remarkable in how she wrote. She would yes. uh, literally dictate and write like a draft and, and have it done. I mean, minor change. I mean, just like, boom, like pretty much dictate mm -hmm. a novel, which is very hard to do. And if you're curious, the book Fountainhead, infinitely better than the movie, The Fountainhead. All respect to Patricia O'Neill and Gary Cooper. You know what? It's not it's, a great That's movie. because it's hard to get, what is it, eight, 900-page book yes, into like a two-hour movie. I mean, good luck. <laughs> Governor Jared Polis, thanks so much. Thank you. Good to see you, Major. We'll see you next week, folks. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen, and Ashley Armstrong. CBSN production by Eric Susanen. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News. If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick... Joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings early and ad-free starting May 1st with a 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts.